The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Uh, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 in Irvine. This is Privacy Piracy with your host, Mari Frank. And um, if you don't know Mari, let me tell you a little bit about her. She's an identity theft expert, local attorney, and author. She has a couple of new books out. Um, From Victim to Victor, a self-help guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft, and Safeguard Your Identity. It's a do a personal privacy audit. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to www.identitytheft.org. So here's Mari now. Hi there, Lloyd. This is going to be a great show. By the way, if you want to learn more about our guests, you can go to KUCI.org forward slash privacy piracy. Lloyd, I have someone tonight that both you and I know, and we just really think she is a, a top dog. She's a terrific person, and she is really an expert in so many areas. We are so lucky to have Violet Woodhouse. Uh, Violet, she, yep. Yep. And uh, Violet is, is an Orange County attorney, and she is one of the leading authorities on divorce. She's an author, educator, speaker, certified family law specialist, and a certified financial planner. She is a skillful trial attorney and a great negotiator and one of the top nation's top financial advisors. Violet has established an impressive record for her ability to successfully guide her clients through really very complex divorce issues. As a result of all of this blending of her professional blend of divorce and financial uh, issues, she has a terrific reputation, and she's one of the few family law attorneys who I know who happens to really understand the issue of privacy in divorce and is very concerned about it. I met Violet probably about 10 or 12 years ago and have been so impressed with her for many, many years. We've become uh, friends and colleagues, and I'm just so thrilled that she's here. She um, also, I should say, which I'm very, you can learn, you know, learn a lot more about her at her website because we have her picture and we have her bio. But let me tell you a little bit more because she is also an author. And uh, she shares her expertise about financial decisions may, um, during divorce in her best-selling book by Nolo Press, which is a great book um, publisher. And the name of the book is Divorce and Money, How to Make the Best Financial Decisions During Divorce. And she already has a sixth edition. She's done this for, for many years. And she keeps updating it. And it gets better and better. And I recommend for all my clients to read it because... It's really a very comprehensive guide. In fact, the New York uh, Newsday named this thorough step-by-step guide the most comprehensive, comprehensive financial planning guide for divorcing couples available. She's also been quoted extensively by prestigious pu- publications such as the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Working Woman, Money Magazine, Kiplinger's Personal Finance USA Today, New Choices, and the Los Angeles Times. California Super Lawyers Magazines named Violet Woodhouse a Southern California Super Lawyer for 2004 and one of the top 50 Orange County lawyers. And I'm just so thrilled that you're here. Are you there, Violet? I don't hear her. But while you're getting her on the line, if, if you don't have her on your line, let me tell you a little bit about, more about her. Um... She was admitted to uh, practice law. What's the matter? How'd you lose her? I don't know. Oh. Okay. You there? Uh, well, I'm going to have Jake help or see here. Here's the number. Hello? Violet, you there? No, we lost her. Okay. So I don't know. While he's calling her again, let me tell you a little bit more about her and, and tell you a little bit about the... The, the critical issues of divorce. But let me tell you, Violet is very well taxed, uh, very well versed in taxation of income and assets, valuation of businesses, retirement plans, annuities, cash value insurance, investments, real estate, cash flow, and debt analysis, and employee benefits. She also has in depth experience 
home. In-depth experience um, and knowledge concerning privacy and the divorce and child support and spousal support issues, valuation of businesses, and all sorts of things with the division of community property. Now, if you're listening to this and you say, well, gee, I'm not going through a divorce. Why should I worry about this? Let me tell you why you should worry about this. First of all, in the state of California, one out of two marriages end in divorce. Whether you're a child of divorcing couples or you have people working for you that are getting divorced, you have to worry about the privacy of everyone involved in those cases. In other words, if you have clients who work for you and they're going through a divorce, all of your information about your business may become pub, you know, public. Also, if you're children, other people can find out about your life or your finances. So it's very important that you listen to this. And also, if you're married, you need to know what privacy rights you have in your marriage. She's not there. It's She's still not there. Hey, Violet, you there? Yeah, Mari? Yes. Yeah, I heard a buzz, and but I am here. Okay, well, we just introduced, introduced you, and I told everybody how you walk on water, which I think you do. Right. And so we're really thrilled that you're there, and we're sorry that we had a little glitch here. Not a problem for okay. me. Yeah. Violet, I, I wonder if you could tell us a bit about your previous life as a certified financial planner and, and how that helps you to be even more concerned about financial privacy. Well, uh, as a certified financial planner or really any kind of financial planner or investment advisor, <clears throat> you uh, take uh, really are obligated, certainly as a CFP, obligated to, to, do, um, to, to, to do a certain amount of investigation on your client. That doesn't mean that it's, you know, you're hiring some private investigator, but simply that you, you need to ask specific kinds of questions, particularly about, you know, what they have. Um, and what they owe, and uh, about their ability to tolerate certain levels of risk. If if you're into if if the the question is about how to achieve certain objective, and it's a voluntary disclosure process. There's nothing that's a matter of public record. Now that doesn't mean that somebody couldn't subpoena that information, especially in divorce, but but it does mean that it's not an automatic right to the public to know what these people told you, and and ultimately, you know, give a financial statement or, or even give, you know, a, a list of, of all what, what, their, what their income is like. There's, uh, there's no privilege um, between financial planners and their clients. However, there's no automatic right to know. And that's the thing that's really different about divorce. Right. Because there is a presumptive right for the public to have access to these records and that's a and and it's not a voluntary consensual thing by the litigant it's deemed by the uh, the people who are who are actually going through the divorce process that they are that they understand that that the information that they're giving is is part of the public record well um I don't think anybody that uh, is uh, it, it really understands the level of the the uh, other than as a matter of you know uh, maybe as a matter of counsel, but I don't think the public has an understanding that whenever they file for divorce that everything and anything that said or put before the court, excluding perhaps you know uh, some child custody investigation and some some things that are really deemed private for the purpose of children, uh, and, and then the question is how confidential is that? Uh, but I don't think anybody really understands that when they make allegations when they ask for relief of the court that that everything that they put before the court is now um, under the uh, preview of the media. And you know what's scary though, Violet, like you were talking about when you were a certified financial planner, that was voluntary. They Mm -hmm. share that information with you voluntarily. When you go through a divorce, you don't have that ability to voluntarily keep this from, you know, getting to your 
your spouse and his attorney and, and the forensic accountants, and of course the whole public when it becomes public record, if it does. Right, and, 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 and I think, um, you know, I think that the system, in my, uh, this is just my opinion, but I think the system is wrong in its approach. I believe that there should be an opt-in, opt-out. I think the presumption should not be the public's right to know, but the presumption should be the, that, that, that whatever is uh, done, said in divorce, and, you know, custody, even custody stuff gets mixed up with child support and so forth, uh, that, that the public's right to know um, or, or, or that they're really precluded from the right to know and that, that, that there has to be an opt-in to uh, allow this all to be a matter of public information. I think that the burden should be on whoever is interested in this particular case, whatever it is and why ever it is, that they should have the burden of establishing um, that, that it's in the public interest to know these facts or these uh, or, or to have access to these documents and papers. I, I think that 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 is really the answer, but but the way uh, it currently exists is that no, there's an automatic right. It's, it's a presumptive right that anybody. And by the way, even in Orange County, if you go to the Orange County Court's website, yeah, um, under family law, it, there's a just a, a policy statement um, as to family law matters. Public has a right to know. All you have to do is come in. You don't have uh, the ability to to have remote access to it, i.e., over the internet or uh, off-site. But you come in. They even tell you what courthouse. If it's before 1968, you go to one courthouse. If it's after that, you go to another. Yeah, let's kind of clarify that for people. In other words, if you're sitting at home, you can't just go on the internet and look up anybody's divorce. But well, as long you as can you're not a hacker, or as long right. as you're doing it legally. Right, right. If you're and just that, and that's only as to the records of divorce. Now, as to uh, whether people have filed for divorce, you know um, that 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 you you can get you can get that sure. information uh, just by paying for it vis-a-vis the internet. Right, right. All the information brokers have right. all the the uh, divorce records that are filed, as well as all of the other kinds of. Uh, cases that are filed, whether it's a workers' comp case or a personal injury case, you can look those up. But let's go back and kind of clarify for the audience that, yeah, you can go to the courthouse. You can go to the family law courthouse and you can look up these files. They don't have remote access, but they still have that access. But let's kind of get step back a little bit and then we're going to get further into it. But let's talk about people who are driving right now, who are listening to us, Violet, who are married. What kind of privacy do we have when we're married? And what kind of fiduciary duty do we have when we're married? Well, uh, first of all, uh, I, you know, you, you, I, I'm, I'm going to speak from my belief system, which is uh, you only marry somebody that you're safe with and therefore um, that you have the ability to freely communicate any and all information and, 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 and share information. I mean, it seems to me as though that's what an enriched relationship is about, right. but you know, aside from what a marriage should be, certainly as a matter of law, once you get married, um, you have uh, no right to exclude, absolutely no right to exclude the other person from having complete access to all the financial documents that relate to their financial life. That is um, a, a, a law that is. It, it attaches to us when when we get married. So as to financial information, uh, now, does that mean that as to, well, gee, I filed an a, a incorrect tax return back, uh, you know, 10 years ago or five years ago or even the year before we were married? Yeah, I don't know that that may be, that is, that is particularly relevant, but I got to tell you that if that person it may be audited by the IRS, and, and there may be a tax liability due. I think that there's an obligation to disclose that. may not be before marriage, but certainly after marriage. And, um, and, and a lot of people don't know that, Violet, right? You and I have talked about this many times. We can't believe that women who've been married a long period of time, kind of in a traditional marriage, husband takes care of the finances, wife hasn't got a clue what's going on. Well, and then the opposite is true, is that when they when people get married, wife doesn't 
uh, you know, disclose uh, the amount that she's really got on her credit card. So all of a sudden, after they're married, we're we're, we're looking at significant financial difficulties because of the obligations that each party, but very often the woman, and and uh, has. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why that is. I think is because um, w- there's this kind of a. a taboo. Women certainly shouldn't be talking about money because if we talk about money in relationships, uh, then we're, we're really gold diggers, right? I mean, right. that's the problem. As opposed to, hey, let's talk about your obligations and my obligations and how are we going to make this work and what our lifestyle is going to be and what I can expect from you and what you can expect from me and how we're willing to to do uh, sacrifice something of ourselves to enhance the other person. Now we can't have those kind of discussions because if we do, we're um, you know we're automatically deemed as people who are going to uh, you know we're just really out for the money. Right, and that's one of the things that's very important. If you're driving tonight or you're listening on the internet and you're thinking that about your relationship and your marriage, you really do need to disclose to each other while you're married, even when things are really good. You need to know what what kinds of money problems you have, what kinds of credit you're extending, yep. what what is really going on with the financial relationship, and you have a fiduciary duty to do that. Well, you have the duty to do it certainly after marriage, but I think it's a little bit late. Yes. You and really you, need to do it before. Right. You, Yeah, you really need to know what you're getting into. But especially when you're in there and you're in a long-term marriage, you and I have both talked about these people. How is it that they can't know what is going on with with their finances, and they, uh, well, you know, you it's terrifying. That is that there? I think there's a perception that it's it's me and it's you. It's not an us thing. It's a it's not a we thing anymore. It's about me and it's about you. And so if I have my own checking account and I have my my own credit cards, um, and your name isn't on them, then you know that's my it, it, that's my private information, and I don't have an obligation to. Nor does my spouse have an obligation to, you know, discuss this. It's just a failure of couples to account to, to one another or to be accountable. And the simple fact of the matter is that everything that we do and what we do don't do counts. Exactly. So if we don't talk about it, it doesn't mean that you're exonerated from that obligation because you're not. It doesn't mean necessarily, I mean, that creditor can come after, um, you know, any kind of a joint account and, and, and take money out of there. So it matters, and we should have these discussions. And, and, and so, so we really, you know, as a matter of policy, want to have the ability for free discussions. But as a matter of law, we have an obligation to provide the other person with total, complete access to any and all transactions, any and all financial transactions between the parties. Now, that is not, as I said, I think before, exercised generally during marriage, but it certainly becomes an issue at divorce. Exactly. So that leads to the next question, which is, what kind of privacy do we have between divorcing couples? Well, I don't know uh, that there's any privacy because exactly. at the point of divorce, what we have is um, again the same duties to disclose. Only we could we have maybe we have more to lose. Right, we have more to lose because if you don't disclose and there's kind of a fraud that's going on, you could lose up to 100 percent of 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 the thing that you didn't disclose. So, yeah, like well, so the duty doesn't change. Right, it just simply becomes more formalized in divorce. And, and, um, uh, and in fact, I mean, the law is pretty clear that you have to disclose before you can even get divorced. Yeah, Violet, tell, tell our audience about the lottery ticket issue. <laughs> well, it's a great case. I think it's called In Re Marriage of Rossi. It's a great case because um, this is a, a, happened to be a woman, but, you know, I don't, it doesn't mean uh, it happened. It was a human being who, whose greed got, the best of that person, but it happened to be a woman who um, was did not file for divorce, but had used money. She says it was her separate property money, but the bottom line was that she didn't have separate property and it was community money. And she bought a lottery ticket and she won. Right. And um, she didn't bother to tell her her husband. It was her ticket to freedom. 
<laughs> she thought it was her ticket to freedom. Right. And and, and so um, they they got divorced. She failed to disclose it. She should have disclosed it during marriage, uh, but she immediately filed for divorce. And then I think uh, you know didn't have to report it on their uh, any joint return because they got divorced before that happened. So there was no way for him to know. Uh, but at some point. He found out there was some kind of letter that came in the yeah, mail. Some letter from the Lottery Commission. And right. It might have been a change of address letter. Who knows what it was? Or it might have been an options letter uh, on uh, whatever. I don't recall what the, those facts yeah. were. But the simple fact of the matter is he did find out about it. And he went to court and he asked for the court to... Um, you know, to to remedy the situation, and and the, in fact, the remedy was, and in accord with the law, she lost a hundred percent. Right, she lost it all because she failed to disclose, and that was a a deliberate decision on her part to defraud and to deny her spouse of his right to um, his share of of this community asset. Right. And so that, you know, you don't have any privacy between spouses when you're getting a divorce. And people say, well, that's my step. Yeah. They say it's my financial, you know, account and I got it. I inherited it. Even if you inherit it, you have a duty to disclose. Absolutely do. And especially if you have separate property. And here's the here's the the real rub is if you have separate property, that is, you got an inheritance or you, you know, had money before marriage or whatever. Um, you cannot, and it's your uh, fiduciary obligation not to enhance or enrich in any way your own pocket while denying either the community or the other party of any uh, of their interest in it. So, in other words, if you had a choice and you had separate property, I, you got an inheritance, and it was clear it was separate properties, no question about that. And you did, and you had a real uh, winner of an opportunity to uh, invest in something, uh, you have an obligation to disclose that before the investment to the other party. And if you don't do that, then you are held as a trustee and you're going to be um, uh, charged with the receipt of all those profit, profits that you got. Um, and, and, and you won't be allowed to defraud or in any way deny the community if it had the ability and opportunity to have made that same investment. So exactly, it's a, you know what, the duty to disclose financial information to one another is a very different issue than the right of the public to know your private financial information. Because I don't believe they have, I do not, personally, I cannot see any interest that the public has in getting consolidated financial reports. Right. I think they should, if they, if they have a, uh, if they do their due diligence and they get their uh, information legally and and uh, they're in that business, then they have, there's a cost to acquiring that kind of information. But for the courts to facilitate or for the law to facilitate in the consolidation of people's financial um, information so that the public can see what it is that you have and what you don't have and how much in debt you are and what your cash flow is like. I, I, do, not, uh, I do not understand legally why, when I can't get your credit report, Mari. Right. It's illegal. Why it is that they can get my credit, that my financial information, or I can get your financial information if you go through divorce. That right. makes no logical sense to me. We're talking with Violet Woodhouse, who's one of the leading authorities on divorce. She's the author of Divorce and Money, How to Make the Best Financial Decisions During Divorce. She's a fabulous Orange County lawyer right here, and we, we're talking about privacy and divorce. Okay, Violet, so we've been talking about between parties, uh, divorcing parties, there is absolutely no privacy. Both you and, and I financial agree. Financial privacy. Yeah, financial privacy. Right. Um, uh, yeah, because we're saying that, yeah, maybe uh, you, no. really, you really shouldn't be reading each other's mail or email, but unfortunately right. we know in reality people do that. But the more important issue that both of you and I are both concerned about is what is the public seeing? So let's talk about in litigation – how, if possible, how do you protect your private information when you're divorcing in litigation? How do you 
protect it? Is there any way possible when you're in litigation? Well, uh, yes. I mean, there, there are, there are. Well, first of all, let's talk about what do we mean by protection. There okay. are legal uh, maneuvers that we can go through. There are um, ways in which the court can order that uh, certain documents be sealed. Now, explain what sealing is and how that's different from lodging information with the court, because I don't think our audience really understands that. Okay. Well, sealing a document is a document that's actually been filed with the court, so it becomes part of the public record. Mm-hmm. Lodging a document is really a temp- it's like turning over temporary custody of that document so that the court has access to the information, but it's not actually filed. Right. Okay, so so that lodging lodged information wouldn't become part of the file unless the court or or the parties agreed that it should be entered in as evidence and therefore become part of the public record. Okay, and and this year they have changed some rules so that now we can seal certain records. Remember uh, last year when you and I talked about this, we couldn't I couldn't even get a court to allow me to seal records, but now. What does it really mean to seal the records? Who can have access to it? Well, what does it really mean or what does it legally mean? Because what is it? Well, let's talk about both is, of it. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about let's what is deal it legally. With the re- life, you know, life right, right. as we all know it, that we don't live in a perfect world. Right. And that things, um, well, all I have to do is think about the Social Security system and, uh, or, or, or any, the mail, I guess the post office. Right. And, and, and just, you know, look at um, the, you know, depending on th- this competence or, or, or the interest uh, of, of, you know, the, the, um, the governmental worker uh, as opposed to just, you know, getting off at 5 o'clock. And, right. I mean, that's reality. And I'm not, it's not a negative so much as it's just reality. So do you want to depend on and that ultimately becomes the issue is do you want to depend on the uh, government taking care of your problems, your issues, um, your records, or do you want to have uh, and exercise some control over that yourself? That, that to me, is more the issue. However, um, yes, there are certain records that we can seal, but the bottom line is the general rule is that the media, the public has a right to know. That's the bottom line. And that's a constitutional issue, isn't it? Well, you know what? I'm not sure that... I think right of privacy is also a constitutional issue. It is in California. It is not federally, unfortunately. There is no federal right of privacy written those words in the Constitution no, and, like there and, is in California. And, you have, you know, and, and, and here's what it comes down to. It. it comes down to two camps of thinking. One is that the reason the public has a right to know is because it has a right to understand, uh, you know, the what's going on in within the judicial system. Right. Well, I don't think I, I certainly understand that uh, kind of on a criminal criminal level, except for that. Even there, we even protect the criminals in that regard. Right. Um, but but you know they want to know. Uh, I guess um, you know what the courts. Um, and the functioning what the documents yeah. say about um, the adjudication of any particular matter, and I understand that. I mean, they're but trying to say that we live in a democracy and that the system is working, right, but there but is no. But, but that, that's yeah. the whole point of the. Uh, the that's that's the whole point of why that. It, it, it's it's in family law. We have to make some exceptions. We do have sensitive sure. issues here. We have financial issues that wouldn't normally be before the court at all, and certainly not before the court in the very consolidated. Consolidated. I mean, as a financial planner, I I have to extract information. I have to do a balance sheet. Well, you know what? That's voluntary. But in in family law, I got to do it too, and yeah. it's got to be comprehensive. And it's got to identify specific, um, you know, accounts and and you know the 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 address of the bank and 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 amounts in right. that account at that time and be supported. Um, so so it's a it's a it's a different it's a different kind of um, process. Right. So when we when we have some of these new rulings, okay, the, the some of the new rules for California, which are a little bit better. 
and we can seal documents that have financial information in them. Yeah, but you still have to meet some standards. Right, and you, you still you, have you, to apply to the court for it. It isn't automatic, which is my problem with this system. I think it needs to be, we will permit, the, we believe that the public has a right to know versus we don't. And I think the presumption needs to be that the public doesn't have a right to know. Right. Um, and, 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 but, and right now, example, but right now we are left with, basically having to take action. And you and I talked yes. about this earlier. Yesterday right. we were talking about that, you know, for, for people who have attorneys who are who are sharp like you, you know that you're going to bring this up to your clients. You're going to say, look, we need to take the action to seal these documents. You have a lot of financial information in here that could keep you, maybe hurt you in future jobs or hurt your business or hurt something. We have to seal it. But there are, what is it now, 40 to 50 percent of the people who are filing for divorce now are in pro per, oh, meaning yeah, representing it's, it's themselves. 80 percent, I think. 80 percent. But you know what it is? And they don't know how to seal things. The problem is, the the, the problem is, even if you are a competent lawyer and you file the motion and you you set forth the facts to support why it is that this is not um, information that should be subject to public scrutiny, Uh the simple fact of the matter is that you have judges who have the uh, discretion to, to make those decisions. Now, um, uh, you know, they are public officials, but they are also elected public officials. Right. So now if they make a lot of rulings against the media or against the public's right to know, um, how does that come out in, in an election? I right. Mean, the simple fact of the matter is that they are publicly elected officials and and if they want to retain or continue to be judges uh then they cannot have the media hostile to them and i'm not saying that the judges are for sale here this is not about judges being for sale i'm just saying that if we change the presumption from from a public right to know to the public from that presumptive right to know to the the presumptive right for any uh divorce proceeding to be um to be a private matter to be a confidential matter just like as we do with you know child custody investigation reports right if if it were that then 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 we'd have accountability as to who ultimately was able to get that information but as it is we don't even know who's examining our file. You, I can go to the courthouse as a private citizen, as a um, corporate um, agent. I can go to the courthouse. I can uh, find out everything I want to know about you legally, whether there's been any legal actions, and I can pull those records up. Right, That's and you could be you could be like an information broker, and and your company is sending you there to go and go to the kiosk and look up these files and copy all this stuff from from your files, and, and then they and can sell it. that information for whatever use you want, whether right. you want to do a research project on it or whether you want to uh, look at trends in certain kinds of um, you know um, situations like you know personal injury or right. Uh, or whether you want to you find um, a certain information on a specific file. It's or, not, you know, Violet, you can use it for, for good things, and, you, and like you said, things. for research, or bad things, or even to hurt someone or to commit identity theft. Or, or to stalk. Dis- right. And we have no stalk. way. Right. We have no way that I know of within this system um, to, to, um, to determine who it is other than, you know, they're going to withhold your driver's license. Not that they're going to mark it anywhere, but they're going to withhold the driver's license so that you have to return that file. Right. Uh, but but that's, uh, there is nothing that says, uh, you know what? It, like that there's a permissible name. purpose. Like, you know, with a credit report, when you want to get somebody's credit that's report, right. you, you have to have a permissible purpose. And you so do. what you're saying is, is and that... And you know what? Yeah. You have to... You also are are marked. In other words, you're identified right. as a person who's making an inquiry, whether it's exactly. you or your company or whoever. That's that is the accountability in that system. We do right. not and have you that get level to of know. accountability, and yet we're we're we are in fact 
exposing, you know, our late payments, our uh, inability to make payments. We're exposing, you know, our debt. Allegations. Our we're exposing all that, and we're giving it away. Exactly. Now, Violet, when we talk about, you know, that's in the litigation process, which, which you do that, but you also support, you know, as a consulting counsel in mediations. Let's talk about the various ways people get divorced and how the extent of privacy in each of those. We know that litigation is probably the worst way to get a divorce if you want to keep your information private. Well, let's talk about litigation because I think we should talk about all the right. forms right. of litigation. Litigation might be in front of the court, right? a judge at the courthouse. Right. And there are, you have to really understand, too, that simply because the judge or you might request the judge and the judge grants your request to order any uninterested and even interested people out of that courtroom, that doesn't mean that they don't have access to those records. It just simply means that they don't have, they can't sit there and listen to the testimony as it's going on. Right. So it's important to understand that. Um, there are, so you could be at the public courthouse and you could have your public trial and you could exclude all those people and still have your privacy or at least what you perceive to be your privacy um, invaded. Right. Now, you, you also could choose arbitration, which is, um, you know, we're talking about alternative dispute resolution kind of issues. Arbitration is nothing other than a judicial proceeding. In fact, um, it, it, they make their own findings. They take their own evidence. It has to be within the standards that, you know, apply, uh, evidence, uh, evidentiary standards standards and so forth. Right. Uh, you may have a choice as to who that arbitrator may be, but simply uh, you don't, it, it isn't like, well, we're taking it out of the public arena because you don't. Because right. what really ultimately happens just as private judging, which is the, you know, next step really, private judging, um, what happens is that, you know, this court has to have a way to enforce a judgment. And when we give up our um, you know, our when we give up our power to the court, then to the court, whatever form it is, whether it's on site or off site, um, then 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 the, still the court has to have its record. It has to have a copy of. It has to actually have all the original filings, and then a copy goes to the to the you know the referee or the um, you know the private judge or. Uh, the arbitrators. So they're right. all judicial proceedings. Now, what happens is that, you know, there's things said and done and, you know, in uh, outside of the courthouse and even in the courthouse where you'd go into chambers, things are said and done that aren't part of the record. That's true. There's some things that can be private, right? Well, it's not really private. It's just not on the record. Right. It, it's not for the public to hear. It's right. not for the public to hear. Right. Uh, but that's, a, that's another problem, because if it's not for the public to hear, then that means that you don't have that as a matter of a record to, uh, to, to, to appeal if, if you don't happen to like the, the ultimate adjudication. Right, because with a, with a judge or a private judge or an arbitrator, you are really giving up that power and you don't have the right, If at least in arbitration, you may give up that right to even have an appeal. Or, yeah, in arbitration, actually, I think that's pretty much, you're, you're probably, you know, that's about as close to um, a, a general rule as you can get is yeah. that, you know, the, the arbitrator is the final decision maker. Right. That is not true in private judging. Right. Right. And, and, and um, uh, you know, that's not true in a referee situation where you, where the court or the parties might agree that the court appoint um, a, an independent person to, um, to, to investigate and to make rec- recommendations as to, you know, uh, a particular issue, but that person still doesn't have um, the power to actually make the order. So there's got to be findings. Right. Court cannot make an order without an adequate basis to make an order. Right. And so people so, who think that they're getting a very private process really aren't as private in that arbitration. Now, how does that differ? Or, or in private judging. Right. 
or in 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 a referee situation. Right. Now, so you and I were the, talking the that mediation is very different in yeah. in the last kind of the last um, kind of alternative dispute resolution proceeding that, and probably the most important one. Uh, it's important, and there are drawbacks, obviously. But the mo- probably the most uh, uh, the most protected uh, form of being able to resolve disputes between parties is in the context of mediation. Right. right. And I know you do mediation, and I'm not here to to, to say that mediation is the end all, because because it it is and it isn't. I mean, the simple fact of the matter is that there are it has its own drawbacks but for I, issues you know, of privacy if you yeah something and uh parties agree then and you got a done deal there there are you you also as a mediator have to take additional steps to secure privacy right. even though there's there there are evidentiary rules excluding conversations and so forth there's still uh, i mean it isn't totally outside of the judicial system. And in addition to that, um, usually what happens in mediation uh, is that you get a marital settlement agreement. And that marital settlement agreement, uh, even though it may be in a sealed envelope or, you know, outside, the simple fact of the matter is that parties do, um, in order to have that actually enforceable, you have to have enforceable orders, other, and right. that's what a judgment's all about. Right. So, so now, so now you have to go back to that agreement. Now, whether there there may be irrelevant portions, in other words, there may be issues that that parties don't disagree on. That there's doesn't really. It's just it's not a matter of child support or spousal support or custody or things that you know that are really the kinds of things that you would convert into a judgment. But, but you know, you still have an agreement there. And at some point, either or both or uh, one of the parties is co- may, may um, you know, ask the court for relief. Right. And, and, and any agreement, obviously, any agreement that the parties make, if, if the other party isn't honoring that agreement, uh, obviously they, they're, they're going to want to have court. enforcement yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, therefore, it, it some portion at least may come in. Right. But, but that is a very different situation because right. those are really consolidated. Very, they're 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 very specific um, and very finite. Uh, maybe uh, agreements between these parties. It is not the context of every single word that the parties testified to or every single document that the parties submitted in order for them to come to this, quote, an agreement. Right, It right. is not the same. It is very, it's it's redacted. It, it, I, I will call it redacted. It's actually not, but it's, it is as, it's like living as a minimalist, <laughs> you know. Right. It I has mean, minimal information. It only has the information that the court will really need in order to, to enforce, to convert it into a judgment, to enforce it, and anything that's said or done uh, or provided, with some exceptions, um, but but anything that's actually prepared for purposes of presentation at litigate in, in, in mediation, mediation. Uh-huh. It, that's protected, and it, it hasn't. I haven't seen anything that that um, and, and certainly. In the most recent cases, I've not seen anything that really penetrates that 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 privilege, and it's it's actually in the evidence code. It's just not admissible evidence. Right. So you know, when we talk about mediation for divorce, it really is the most protective, and it, of of course, you know, mediation is also used in workplace disputes, which protects people so that they can get jobs in the future. And yes. it protects people to do mediation when they have a business and they don't want to be embarrassed. I mean, that is unfortunately in our in our society when inform the information age allows so much information to be uh, readily accessible and um, people can see it and use it for good and for bad. Then we have to do certain other systems and processes to help to protect. So, well, I think we have to define for ourselves. Um, how much uh, are we willing to give to our neighbor 
because that's neighbor or creditor or whoever, whoever is just or stranger looking. or stranger hmm? or stranger. How or, much? Or, or strange, especially a stranger. Right. But but how much are we? You know, if we can't sit and have a um, you know a heart to heart conversation about this, then how much is it that we really don't want for the public to know? And and uh, the simple fact of the matter is, even though mediation is not like arbitration in that there's no, it's not binding. It's not judicially binding. It cannot uh, until you enter a judgment. That the yeah. parties don't agree to, and those, right. those are the that's a, one of the downsides to it. The simple fact of the matter is, if both parties are committed to full disclosure, and I don't believe that mediation works without that commitment. That right. to me is the the baseline. If if parties are committed to full disclosure then quite frankly, it seems to me as though mediation, um, I mean, if it's full disclosure, then, you know, I mean, there's certain things that we can deal with in terms of legal issues like support, child support particularly, um, and and there are so many other things that we can deal with um, uh, using information that's, that, that you don't want your neighbor to know or don't want a stranger to know, and, and and come up with something that the parties agree to. And then it's enforceable when they enter it into a judgment, and that's what happens. And, well, and, and that's what happens, but that's the, that, that it, it, it takes an extra step. Right. But, but quite frankly, with the way privacy laws are now, uh-huh. um, uh, because the presumption is really in favor of public disclosure. Right. Um, it, and I've historically wanted to get rid of that marital settlement agreement contract so I don't have to go in and have that uh, converted into a judgment if there right. if there's a you know breach of it. it it seems to me as though now I as an attorney uh, really must reconsider whether I want uh, to do a marital settlement agreement and ask that that information be sealed um, or um, put it into what seemed to be an expedient way, but I don't think it's, it, 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 it's clearly it's not, uh, an, there's not enough protection. You either have to do one of two things. You're going to have to have a very comprehensive marital settlement agreement that, that you have sealed in some way. Mm-hmm. Or you have to, as a lawyer, be deliberately vague right. in a judgment, and a vague judgment is not um, is not a contemptible is not a judgment that you can you, you, that has a yeah. lot of teeth to it. Right, because if the judge doesn't know what's going on, or you can do or like the party doesn't, yeah. you can say, yeah. "Well, gee, I don't understand that provision." Right. I mean, what piece of property does this refer to? Right. And one of the things you and I talked about is that what we've been doing lately is having a private marital settlement agreement right. and then a public marital settlement agreement and referring to that and bringing it in if necessary. We're talking with Violet Woodhouse, who is one of the leading authorities on divorce. She is an Orange County attorney and the author of Divorce and Money, How to Make the Best Financial Decisions During Divorce. And Violet and I have been talking as as friends and colleagues about the issue of privacy for years because we're, we're about the only two people that we knew about that were as concerned as we were. But let's talk about some of the good things that have happened. For example, now, you know, the Social Security number is really the key to the kingdom of identity theft, which has become so huge. And it is also really the key to get into everybody's information, even if you just want to browse or stalk or do whatever you want to do. Um, so what what the rules have allowed us now to do, at least, is to redact, meaning to kind of blacken out all but the last four numbers. Well, yeah, but let me. I want you know. I I want to address that issue as sure. well because I, I I yes, that's what the law allows, except for that. Uh, depending on what court you're in, whether it's Orange County or some other uh, family law court. They may require that you file two documents. Right. One, which redacts everything. And by the way, this also goes to the issue of the pension plans, too. Right. Because, you know, your Social Security number is important there and also the address, uh, because we have to have an address where any information concerning, you know, an interest in a pension plan is going to go to. So it, right. it, it goes beyond just, you know, home one addresses. Thing. It goes beyond. But 
you may have to file two documents, one with the, quote, redacted information, that is, without that private information, and, and, and then the other with it. So right. and and you know again you're you're up you're you're really depending on the government and I don't think it's right uh and I don't think it's reasonable to think that the government is a is a perfect institution that's it's unreasonable to think that so so whether it's your information or the 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 party the number ahead of you or behind you whether it's their information it's all our information that could be randomly or otherwise uh, subjected to, to, to disclosure. But and, and we talked about this, you and I talked about this before, that, you know, who has access? We don't know. There's no audit trails. We don't know who has access. And what about the mistakes that are made? I mean, we've just been hearing this year and this, since mm. January of this year, we've had 70 million people who've had information that has been accessed by security breaches, and a lot of those were just mistakes. And what about the mistakes that happen in court? Right, right, Violet? My own bank sent me a notice. My own bank sent me a notice saying that there had been a a security breach. They they said in the letter that that they didn't think that had a affected me, and I don't remember all the reasons. Oh, they always say that. But the other issue is this. You know, I have the ability to go online, pay for, privately, just pay for uh, some company to find my long-lost college, high school reunion, some other thing, or just a person, a person. And the Social Security number, by the way, it, while I think it used to be a big thing in terms of, of you know, the, I mean, there was it, obviously it's a big thing in terms of having access to information. Right. But I have to tell you that it's my experience that that, that is almost like the first thing that I can have access to. Um, it, right. It's out there everywhere. Uh, you know, it, it's like um, getting uh, fairly recently, maybe within the last 10 years, you know, there's been some uh, understanding by the government uh, in terms of releasing the residents, the current residents, uh, by the DMV of a licensed driver. Right. And And I think that it's that may be more difficult to get than your social security number. Right, because everybody's collecting it, and this is this has been a huge issue, and a lot of it has to do with the court records and the public records. Your and birth if I certificate. your social yeah. security number, I got your current address. Right, and, and, you know, we were talking about that, for example, many law offices, including yours, can pull up these background checks on AutoTrack and mm-hmm. other things through Choice Women, which we talked about on this show, mm-hmm. and you can get 30 pages of a profile on someone. And that's another reason why when you're going through a divorce, why you want to keep your information as private and as confidential as possible because but it will appear. Let me tell you where else I can get it and what I can get. If I went to Choice Point or AutoTrack or whatever, yep. I can get the names and addresses of every one of your neighbors. Yes, and you can get the social security numbers of your kids. You darn right I can. And I can get people who live in your house and possible relatives. I mean, I can I can get almost anything. Right. You can. Like they say you can get anyone anything on anyone, which is why one of the reasons that we're trying to get some oversight over these information brokers and have them subject to the same kind of rules as the credit bureaus. Absolutely but, right. But but with regard to, to divorce and privacy, I think one of the things that we hear about all the time, like, um, you know, uh, Brad Pitt and, and his divorce with Aniston, Jennifer Aniston, you know, yeah, they right. did they did as much as possible to keep their stuff private. Right. And, um, and you know, use it using private judges and private uh, mediators, et cetera. But we've also got people like, you know, the billionaire investor Ron Burke, who right. who tried to keep the financial record sealed in his divorce, and right now he's going through some he's issues. fighting that. And, and I'll tell you where, where the real breach is, and I every time I hear it, it, it absolutely stuns me, is when someone dies, we now have, um, uh, you know, we have access to their uh, what their will says 
and right. who they gave what to. Right. I mean, uh, you know, uh, what is what possible right? What possible use uh, could the government or to the people ever have concerning that? Even though it might be interesting and entertaining, but what possible overriding right should the people have as to who? Um, you know, Bing Crosby left his money to her or, um, you know, Little House on the Prairie, uh, Michael Landon, right, or any right. of them. What possible interest beyond uh, that, that, that would ever supersede um, that innocent bystander, the innocent beneficiaries, uh, privacy rights? Good right. heavens. It seems to me as though the burden is really... It needs to shift on the wrong party. It seems to me as though it should be on the person or entity that ha- claims they have a right to know. It, it, they they need to, to. It seems to me as though they need to do what what we now have to do, which is we have to show the overriding interest why it is that they, i.e., the public, has a right to know that overrides. A, a person's individual privacy, and you know these records are not just financial records. They, 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 a judgment, for example, on spousal and child a spousal support, particularly, is going to have not only length of marriage, but their work history. They're yeah. going to have medical and age of the parties. I mean, what? Excuse me, I don't understand. I know, and you and I were talking about how dangerous this information is. You know, like you said. Health in- information may get out there. Things could ruin your chance to get a job if you are or working. It, it, yeah, you can't get insurance. It could also affect the company that you work That's for, right. and so these and are increase their hu- premiums, right? So, and we're, we only have a couple minutes left left here, and I know that you have really shared some really important things about what should happen. But we are left right now with where we are, and I yeah. and I think that's going to be an important issue. Maybe together we need to um, promote changes in our legislation, not only in California but federally. And so I just wanted to um, make sure that we tell you who we've been talking to. We've been talking to Viola Woodhouse, one of the leading authorities on divorce, and she is the author of Divorce and Money, How to Make the Best Financial Decisions During Divorce. She's in her sixth edition with No Low Press. Seventh. Okay, this, well, yeah, seventh edition. So she's worked hard every time. I know she's a real hard worker, and you can go to her website. And would you give that, Violet? It's just violetwoodhouse.com. Violetwoodhouse.com, and you can also go to Amazon and see more about her book, Divorce and Money. And Violet, I want to thank you so much. You're going to have to come on again when we, after we get some new laws passed to, to make it an opt-in instead of opt-out for divorce. And if I could just make one last sure. comment. It is unreasonable for us as private citizens to expect that our government has the capacity, and we're certainly not willing to pay any more in, in terms of taxes, to give them the capacity to protect us. We need to do this for ourselves. Right. And until we can do that, we, we want to suggest things like pr- more private processes like mediation. I don't care who you use for a mediator, but use a mediator or at least get into some kind of private thing. So I want to thank you, Violet, for coming on, and we will talk to you soon. And you have been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org. To learn more about our guests and also to listen to previous interviews, please go to KUCI.org forward slash privacy piracy. Please stay tuned next week. We're going to be having Alan Chappell, who is an international privacy expert, talking about privacy and marketing and what's going on in the world. And we thank you for listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, Privacy Piracy. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide.